Hello, everybody. I'm Flood, the drummer. Thanks for being tuned into the Drumming for Justice podcast. It's Wednesday, May 16th, and Election Day has come and gone. Joining me to discuss the results is Isaiah Thomas, a former Philadelphia City Council candidate. Isaiah Thomas, welcome back to the Drumming for Justice podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So yesterday was a big day, wins and losses. We do know that Pennsylvania State Senator Scott Wagner will run against Democratic Governor Tom Wolf after he won the GOP gubernatorial primary. But the big race that everyone's been talking about, at least the people I've spoke to, they're talking about the lieutenant governor race uh, with about a nearly 99.5% of voting districts reporting statewide. John Fetterman, uh, the, the mayor of Braddock's PA, won the Democratic nomination for lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. He beat out uh, an incumbent, Mike Stack, who got 16.5% of the vote. And he beat Philadelphia mayor, uh, deputy mayor Nina Ahmad, who got about 22.5% of the vote. Of course, Fetterman was endorsed by U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders. What was your thought on this race? And did you see this one coming? I mean, yeah, me personally, I did see it coming. I, I thought it was a, a really interesting race. I thought um, a lot of people involved ran good campaigns. And um, when you look at, you know, early polling numbers, as well as the fact that the Featherman, as well as his team, has experience running statewide um, with him looking to uh, uh, run for uh, U.S. Senate in the past um, when he ran in the Democratic primary, the writing was on the wall that he had the possibility to take um, the incumbent out. When you include the fact that two people ended up running from Philadelphia and both of them had credibility, had name ID, and had significant money you knew that there was a chance that they would split the vote and essentially that's what happened mm. so you see the opportunity for featherman to have a path to victory and his team capitalized do you think that it helped that he had this, the bernie sanders endorsement or was that inconsequential i think it does help when you're running statewide in a campaign uh as significant as that one and when you're searching uh for credibility and opportunities to separate yourself from the other folks who might have as much money and and they do have some of the same uh, credentials, if not more, than what you do have. Um, you need an endorsement like that with national ramifications. So, yes, I do think it helped. Um, now, did it hurt? Did it hurt Nina Ahmad, for example, who was the deputy mayor of Philadelphia, that she did not have her former boss's endorsement? It was, it was uh, very obvious. Mayor Jim Kinney and actually most of Philadelphia officials set out uh, this race. Do you think that having the endorsement of the mayor could have helped her or was the handwriting on the wall from the day Fetterman entered the race? I definitely think an endorsement from the mayor would have helped her, but I also believe that it would have just made the gap closer. I don't think an endorsement from the mayor would have put him in position to win because mm-hmm. I think when you look at both her and Stack, the incumbent, running with looking to use Philadelphia as their base, you, you see an opportunity for the vote, both, both to be split. One would have had to completely dominate the other and Unfortunately, without some type of, you know, craziness taking place, you don't really see that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and I heard that people just didn't like Stack. I think that there's a lot of rumors around uh, Stack, his wife, the Stack campaign, uh, and different rivals that he has, whether it's, you know, some of his contemporaries in the Northeast or uh, some folks who um, have been saying that there's the rumblings of some uh, racial undertones there. Um, you know, you just don't know. You don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I mean, there's some of it's rumors and another is it's confirmed I and mean, it was confirmed in, in numerous articles that he berated his staff. 
Um, you know, he, he spoke to them in, in, in ill tone. I mean, even from what I understood, Governor Tom Wolf didn't even endorse him, right? The governor didn't endorse him. I think it was more his wife who had the issue with the staff and um, some of her communication with the staff than, than um, the, than the actual candidate himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, the governor didn't endorse him. And so, yeah, there was, again, it was, it it was rumblings, but no one, there was nothing definitive that anyone can point to to say, you know, on this date, such and such says such and such to this person. Yeah. Um, But the rumblings was clearly enough for not just people to jump in the race, but for folks to decide that they didn't want him to be um, their, their, their nominee. Well, I think it's also fascinating that you have Nina Ahmad and Mike Stack, both from Philadelphia, and neither one of their bosses or their colleagues endorsed them. Nina Ahmad didn't get the mayor's endorsement. Mike Stack didn't get the governor's endorsement. And their competitor got the, uh, the endorsement of probably one of the most popular presidential candidates we've had since Barack Obama. Yeah, I know. I think it's ironic more than anything. Um, slightly coincidental. I think it's two different reasons why that, uh, why that took place. I mean, we... We talked a little bit about what took place with Stack. I think when you look at the Amai campaign, it wasn't as if she coordinated with the mayor. Mm. You know, I think it would have been different if she would have said, you know, Mr. Mayor, I want to run for office and you know, I would love to have your blessing. What do you think you can support me if I decide to do? You know, I don't think she said, well, let me take the mayor's uh, and take into consideration the mayor's relationship with uh, Stack or some of the other candidates that were looking to run. I think she ran because she felt like that was her best opportunity to get elected. She had already started the campaign. She was raising money. She put an operation together. And but she didn't even initially want the seat. She wanted to go for Congress. Right. And so when the redistricting essentially took place, you know, it put her in a position where she had to make a decision. And I think she felt like the best way to become an elected official to bring the change that she wanted to bring was to run for lieutenant governor, specifically looking at how much money that she had. Um, to me, it came off as an opportunity. Uh, she came off as an opportunist. I because... Mean, because our message was, we need women in Congress. We, we, we need women representation. I'm going to be the voice of women and minorities. And then the redistricting happens. It looks like she's going to have to face some incumbents because initially she thought, I guess, it was going to be an open primary. And then she just kind of turned, turned uh, you know, just made a pivot. No explanation, just pivoted. And that's the difficult part when you decide to make a decision like that. I, I'm sure that her and her team, they had that conversation that they would, there would be some backlash from people who would say, well, you know, you just, now you look like an opportunist. And so yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that her and her team, you know, brainstormed a way to be able to offset that narrative and not, and, and, and clearly this was the best that they were able to do. Um, and, and again, I don't think it was an absolute terrible idea from a political and campaign perspective for her to run for Lieutenant governor, because I think it would have been an uphill battle for her to run for one of the congressional seats that exists as it relates to the city of Philadelphia, uh, when you look at the results, you can clearly see that that's that is the case. But the, so you mean the incumbents were shoe ins? Well, I just I don't you know I don't want to say shoe in because I don't want to discourage people from running for office. I want to say that it's it's an uphill battle. It's a difficult process. You're gonna you know it starts with um, money, but then it's also about name ID recognition, uh, credibility, what you've done in neighborhoods, how you can service constituents, and both incumbents when you're looking at um, the ones who who don't occupy the new seat, they both have a long, politically, you know, politically long uh, reputations for for doing all those things that I just named. So mm-hmm. it's an uphill battle if you're going to go after one of them and beat them. Uh, do you mind if I ask who you supported in this race? No, I don't mind. I'm, I don't okay. work for the city no more. <laughs> Who'd you support? 
Well, I live in the 10th Ward, um, and I'm a committee person in the 10th Ward, and the 10th Ward is uh, Congressman Evans' old legislative district. So, um, No, I'm sorry. Let me be clear. I was referring to the the race for lieutenant governor. Oh, I actually voted for ne- for uh, Nina. Okay. Um, I, I I didn't I, I I mean with the, the with the rumors around Stack, you know, um, that's that. And I'm not gonna comment because I don't know. Um, uh, based on the dialogue I had with Nina and me and her personally, and then you know the Featherman. Not that Featherman personally bothered me, but the Featherman campaign in general. Just you know, it's it's I guess it's I, I guess it's the petty side of me. Um, but I, I I just you know I voted for Nina. Well, no, let's don't don't brush over that. What didn't you like about the Fetterman campaign? Let's talk about it. Well, I thought I thought the candidate himself ran a good campaign, and I thought, um, you know, his message. I I, didn't, I don't have a problem with his message. I don't even have a problem with him going after Toomey um, in the future and using this as a launch. The Senator Pat that. Toomey of, of Pennsylvania. Sure, mm-hmm. I mean, and using this as a launch pad for that. I don't think any of those things are bad. I just, you know, for me, growing up in Philadelphia, you know, we often see people who. Um, look just like him, but just with melanin in their skin. And their professional options are so limited just because they want to carry themselves that way. And now, when you say look at him, we have to imagine that people who are listening are not from Philadelphia sure. and exclusively from Pennsylvania. Sure. Describe who this guy is So sure. when well, you say look like I, him. Often in the city of Philadelphia, you'll see um, a black male over six feet tall, um, maybe with a bald head, maybe not, with you know, it's uh, a, a significant more facial hair than what you would traditionally see, traditionally see in politics with uh, tattoos that are visibly showing mm-hmm. and, you know, consistently dresses in casual attire. I can see that. Casual often. is likely. He's, he wears dicky sometimes. I, mean, <laughs> I see that often in Philadelphia. I've been seeing that, you know, my entire life. And people wearing dickies, right? Absolutely. Just that. Yeah, entire... but you've never seen candidates wear it. I've never no. seen a candidate wear a dicky set. Absolutely. Never in my life. And so, you know, if I look at, you know, folks who look like me that grew up where I grew up, if they decided that they wanted to make a difference and mm-hmm. that was the way that they wanted to present themselves, society would not receive that in the same way that they received him. And it's it's the hmm. contradicting message that, you know, we often give that, you know, you can you can do anything you want to do. But no, not 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 really. You so you think he benefited from white privilege? No, I, th- I think it's the epitome of it. But I don't. I'm not faulting him for that. I, I'm no, no, no. That. I'm not asking. I'm not just picking fault. I'm just asking if he benefited from Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. But you would. One would hope that. And you know, I don't. If if you or anyone else voted for him, I wouldn't say, "Oh, Chris, shame on you for voting for Featherman." You should vote for the person that you feel like would best represents the constituents of the state. And that's what I did. Yeah. And that's what you did. So it's not him personally that I have a problem with because I, I will, if I had to bet, I would bet that he would do a great job as lieutenant governor and he will do some good work because he has motives that yeah. would put him... And I did vote for Fetterman for and, the record. Yeah, I did. I, I, man, you know, more power to you. You got it right. You know, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think, uh, I guess what I will hope is that we begin to have a, a, a serious dialogue around what does it take to run for office and begin to be a little more accepting of any type of candidate that wants to yeah. run for office if we can allow Featherman to do it. So Isaiah, you ran for Philadelphia City Council uh, the first time, I believe you were under 30, uh, and then the second time you were over 30. Did you ever, in either one of those occasions, say, yeah, I'm just throwing some jeans in the fit it? I mean, 
I wish I could have, you know, and you know, you know. But because, why couldn't you? Because, why do you assume that you can't? Because, because people will not perceive me as serious. You assume that? No, I do know that. So there's this is the thing. I'll say this. Number one, in the midst of running for office, there has been times where I've dressed what people in the traditional political world will call inappropriately. I'm not talking about not wearing a suit or maybe wearing jeans where you used to have a suit or I'm just saying wearing the wrong colors. Mm. People will critique me for wearing the wrong colors, let alone mm. not wearing a suit. So if I, I haven't even, you know, if I walk into the wrong event at the wrong time as a candidate with the wrong attire on, you know, that is the wrong perception. And it's the old narrative that, you know, black men, we have to do twice as uh, mm-hmm. twice as much to get half the amount. And I recognize that. And I think politics is no different. I'm hoping no, I think you're right. And candidacy puts us in a position where that's not necessarily the place where we're more accepting to all candidates. But my goal as a candidate isn't to make that message a little more clear. That's not how I plan a campaign. Now that I have a little more credibility than I did in the past, there might be a time where I will put on some jeans and maybe a button up with a blazer if the event is appropriate. But you know, that was something I was very cautious about because I was fighting for my political credibility more than I was fighting to actually win a seat. Mm. Well, I mean, so he just took it the unsafe route. I mean, is that fair? He he decided not to play safe. I mean, that's an, that's an example of white privilege because, you know, often black folks don't have the opportunity to decide not to play safe because that mm. message doesn't, it doesn't land. It falls on deaf ears. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. Um, I don't necessarily 100% disagree with you. I think some of the some of what you're saying is actually really true. To to, to your point, uh, there have been times where I have spoken as a journalist in in various situations, whether it be museums, the Barn Foundation on the Parkway. Um, I spoke at a Microsoft event, their first uh, Youth Spark event in the U.S. Um, and other situations where, uh, and at the Barnes Foundation event, that was a Knight Foundation event. I did wear a suit. But there were other events where I went to go speak. Even my appearance of Good Morning America, I wore my hat backwards right, and had a hoodie on. And I did that because I wanted to prove a point that we can be in these spaces and not have to put on uh, as if we, you know, have to put on what we don't necessarily want to put on. And I tell people who criticize me sometimes, to say, look, Mark Zuckerberg runs the world's most important company and he shows up almost everywhere with a hoodie on and jeans. And no one ever says Zuckerberg should wear a suit. In fact, he doesn't wear, it's, it's so much the case that he's so casual that when he was to, ahead of, of him testifying on, on the Hill, one of the congressmen, uh, Lindsey Graham actually said, I hope he puts on the suit. It might not have been Lindsey Graham, but one of those guys said, I hope he puts on the suit. So he can get away with showing up like he just woke up. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that point at all. And honestly, you know, we've known each other a long time. You've never heard me one time say, you know, Chris, I don't think you dress appropriate for that. So right. that logic, essentially, I, I agree with 100 percent. Me personally, that's not a battle that I want to fight on my candidacy. You know, I mm-hmm. think if I was uh, looking to be a tenure professor at a university, you could see me maybe try to fight that battle just to try to prove that the, you know, that the economy, the economy is, is changing and the tire doesn't have the same weight that it once did. So, yeah, mm-hmm. atmospheres, maybe in media and journalism, you could see opportunities to fight that fight. But I think, you know, based on what I'm trying to do as far as the political change that I would want to see, you know, I wouldn't want to fight that fight while trying to get elected. Yeah. And for the listeners, 
who may not have gotten a clear as clear a picture uh, as Isaiah was describing Fetterman. This guy looks like he could be a professional wrestler. Uh, imagine like Bill Goldberg, you know, meets The Undertaker. You know, he's yeah, a great big, right? That's a pretty good description, yep. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a big towering guy, at least six foot three, six foot four. He's taller than me. I'm about six three. He's about six four, maybe six five. A um, nearing 300 pounds, if not over. Uh, grayish, straggly beard, bald head, visible tattoos. Like he could be in a biker gang. And most time he was wearing a, a dicky set, right? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, or some form of a, you know, something that is this a uh, uh, shirt pants combo <laughs> with like, like work boots. <laughs> sure, sure. sure. Yeah. So, no, definitely. I think there was some white privilege in there. I would love to see, though, a black candidate try and do what he did just to see as a social experiment. See how people respond. Not saying you. I'm not saying you, but I would love to see as a social experiment how that would work. I wouldn't. I, I, I'm, I wouldn't be upset with that narrative. You know what I mean? I wouldn't. I wouldn't be upset to see that. But yeah, I just. You know, I wouldn't want to be the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah. So before we move on from this race, uh, the, some of the people I talked to this morning were concerned that because a gentleman from West Allegheny County now will likely be the lieutenant governor that that will give him control over the pardons board and, and, and that Philadelphia may not be represented in the way that we were in the past. We may not have a seat at the table. Is that a fair critique or observation or is that an exaggeration? Well, I don't know that that's guaranteed. Um, I think that he did get some support in Philadelphia. I think there are some, some, some allies here that um, have those relationships that will be able to advocate for Philadelphia's deeds. So I, I don't want to just, Go ahead and assume that. I know a lot of times when people lose, they're bitter. And, you know, I know how that feels when you want to point to the things that may not necessarily be there because, you know, your person, your guy, or your team isn't involved in that initiative. But, um, you know, I would, we, I, I would want to cross that bridge when we get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, what are you looking forward to with him being a lieutenant governor? And more so for people who may not be familiar with this, what is the role of lieutenant governor? What do they do? Well, I, I, I what I look forward to is, I mean, again, a lieutenant governor is, well, the lieutenant governor is the number two person to the governor, of course, but, you know, a lot of what they can actually impact is the criminal justice system. And so what I look mm-hmm. forward to specifically, honestly, is him doing good work and improving his name ID so he can position himself, him or another Democrat can position himself to be able to run against Toomey because I think that's the best thing he could do with that platform. He could do a lot of good work for criminal justice reform, but, Chris, you and I both know that most of that work is done on a local level. Um, Absolutely. And so now you say run against Pat Toomey, who is the this, this state senator now? U.S. Senator, yeah. U.S. Senator, excuse mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So you're saying he can get some leg as lieutenant governor, serve out a term, and then run against Toomey? Yeah, I think that's what his plan is, if I had to bet. I don't, I don't, you know, know his team or their inner thinkings, but just based on, you know, how, the type of national uh, name ID he has, the advocate he's been as far as um, democratic policies and the opportunity this presents to be able to use it as a platform. Um, I, mm-hmm. that, that's what I believe this is for. And if, if that's the case, you know, it's something that I would support, whether it's him or another Democrat that will put themselves in a position to be strong enough to take to me out. I think that's mm-hmm. a priority. So uh, let's move on to another race. Dwight Evans, Congressman, U.S. Congressman Dwight Evans. He's a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. He uh, received 81 percent of the vote, 72,097 uh, votes compared to his competitor, uh, Pastor Kevin Johnson. He's the pastor of Dare to Imagine and the CEO of the Philadelphia OIC. He only got 19% of the votes. He didn't even crack 20,000 votes. What do you, what's your thoughts on that? 
Um, I mean, so I know, of course, you know, um, I spoke about where I was, but I do know Kevin Johnson. Um, he's a great guy who um, has an awesome family. Um, and I, I just, it, I think that when you look at races like that, Dw- um, Congressman Evans being a longtime incumbent, um, having a base of votes in uh, an area of the city who's been voting for him for decades now, it, mm. it, just, it was it was definitely an uphill battle. I think um, it seemed time, misguided to me, Isaiah, that Kevin didn't didn't foresee, and no one maybe could have foreseen this redistricting that that happened. And he thought, hey, it's an open primary, let's give it a shot. And then when the redistricting happened, he was like, I don't want to pull out for the sake. I need to save face, and so I'm going to run. I mean, it seemed almost impossible that that he was going to get the black church support that he thought he was going to get as a pastor. They were already firmly behind Dwight Evans. I know several pastors who Kevin had reached out to that wasn't willing to to change their support. So it didn't seem like he had a shot from the jump. Well, you once, don't once the redistricting happened. Well, I don't. I you know I, I I don't know who he talked to or what numbers were shown to him that communicated a path to victory. I don't think anybody, um, you know, especially as someone as intelligent as him, who who um, has the uh, responsibilities that he does would run for office without someone communicating a path to victory. So you know, again, I don't know the inner workings of his camp or his campaign, but I would presume that that someone had some level of dialogue with him and communicated to him support that would be there that would lead to a path to victory. Um, again, the numbers didn't come out in his favor, but I, I don't think he ran a bad campaign. And one thing, what was his message? Do you know? Say it again. Do you, did he have a did he have a clear message? Um, I think he had a message in the sense of uh, moving Philadelphia in a different direction, um, advocating for family, uh, working families, and uh, voting against career politician. Mm-hmm. I think that was mm-hmm. the, the the primary thing he tried to communicate to the constituents of the district. And um, I, again, I don't think he did a bad job. I just it's, it's tough to beat an incumbent of that capacity unless you have a ton of money. You know, you mm-hmm. have to communicate to the constituents over and over and over again. And, you know, at least where I live, where a voter turnout is pretty high. You know, we didn't see a presence at all from um, the Johnson campaign on Election Day. Really? No, no, no. We so he wasn't on the ground? No. Mm-mm. And you got to understand that a lot of people uh, make their decision as far as who they're going to vote for on election day. And part of that might have been, I, and again, we don't know why, you know, maybe his team didn't have the resources to cover the entire district. And they just decided to suspend it, coverage, suspend coverage in places where they felt like he was strong. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, I spent most of my election day in the 10th Ward, so it's a little different for me as far as what I've seen and what I experienced. But someone in West Philly might have a totally different story as to what they experienced. Yeah. Uh, do you mind again, do I ask in this particular race, who did you vote for? I, I voted for, for, um, for, for the Congressman. Again, I'm a committee person okay. in 10th Ward and, you know, we, that's the endorsed slate that we had been with for a long time. And I have a personal relationship with the Congressman. Um, he supported me in 2015 and I've lived in a district my entire life and, yeah. So this wasn't a hard decision for you, even though you know Kevin Johnson as well. Well, I do know Kevin Johnson, and um, I think it would have been it, 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 it could have been possibly harder if he would have reached out to me and said, you know, Isaiah, this is what I'm deciding to do, and I would love to have your support. But it, it, no, it wasn't the most difficult decision, though. Mm-hmm. What other races uh, did you watch? And, and before we move on from this, Dwight Evans now will face Republican Brian Lieb in the November general election after winning yesterday. Uh, and defeating his competitor, Kevin Johnson. There was also another competitor in this race, uh, uh, Isaiah, who didn't get much press, Willie Singletary. He missed his uh, deadline to be on the ballot. He was going to write in. He was a write-in candidate. I think he got about 350 votes. 
When I interviewed him last week, he said he was 100% confident that he was going to win this race, that neither Dwight Evans nor Kevin Johnson had more uh, presence in the community than he did. Did Willie ever have a shot, even if he was going to be on the ballot? No. No? Why not? I, I, I mean, I don't see how. You know, I think um, when you look at the the fact that he um, had someone – I don't know him personally, but I know that he had uh, somewhat of a, a troubling past as far as uh, issues with the law and mm-hmm. uh, previous tenure as an elected official. I don't think that that's something that constituents will vote for when they have the opportunity to choose between the three candidates. I think that, mm. that most people would choose that last. So I would say no. And then on top of that, I think most donors would donate to that last. It's very difficult to run for office in a district like that in a seat that is so important to constituents right now. When you look at what's going on on the federal level, I, I don't think that you could sell constituents on anything that's not, you know, some somewhat authentic and, you know, that's not being communicated to them in their backyards. And you, you need money to do that. That's just yeah. how, how, how marketing goes, no matter what type of campaign we're talking about. Mm-hmm. One of the other races you paid any attention to, I, uh, I believe the U.S. Senate was being voted on yesterday, correct? Um, uh, yeah. And Bob I mean, Casey won, who was an incumbent, U.S. Senator Bob Casey no won his re-election. There. No surprise Yeah, there. and he was uncontested. Right. No surprise there. Um, uh, we, Congressman Brandon Boyle won his election. Um, now, Brendan was going against Michelle Lawrence and who else? Did, uh, it was them two, head to head. Okay. And, me, and the interesting thing is Michelle Lawrence... Um, who was going against uh, Brendan Boyle. Michelle is a former banking executive, I believe at Wells Fargo. But the interesting thing about it, when she first announced, she's a member of Kevin Johnson's church, dare to imagine. Kevin Johnson and Michelle uh, Lawrence were actually going to be running against each other before the district redistricting. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting narrative. I didn't think that um, it was a good idea, but it, it, it was definitely ironic. I mean, that's the that's being nice, calling it ironic. Well, <laughs> I try to be nice, you know. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not I, I thought it was a little. I thought it was a little messy. It was like church mess. Well, I don't know. I think that was coin. I think that part is coincidental, you know. But what do you mean coincidental? I, I don't. I, I mean, when when I don't know their relationship at all, but I would presume that when Michelle is uh, making a decision to uh, talk to her family and the people that's important in her life to get involved in politics and take it to another level as far as running for office. I don't, I don't think she's having a conversation with Kevin Johnson and his family. So she absolutely did. They had a she conversation did. together. They had a conversation. She said the pastor from my source, said pastor Kevin Johnson planned to endorse her and then just decided he was going to run and it, and it uh, risk uh, some of the people in the church left. So what I'm saying is this, I, when she when she decided to run, he wasn't a part of that inner circle. She decided to run this she had right, a conversation right. with him. You know what I'm saying? And then once he does when once he gets that information, what he does with it, you know, I there's um no there. That's it's <laughs> you know, so I yeah, I, I mean I, I, I it's not something I would promote. I don't think it's a good idea. And I'm glad that they ended up not having to run head to head against each other. Yeah. The other race um, that I was looking at, um, uh, and by the way, uh, Brendan Boyle won with uh, 23,261 votes, about 64.5% of the vote. Michelle Lawrence got 12,814, about 35.5. So Brendan nearly doubled what she did. Um, An honorable mention, I guess, should go out to Marco Kenyatta. Uh, He won in the race 
uh, in a seat left open by uh, uh, G.W. Curtis Thomas. Uh, do you do you know what district that was? Because it's escaping me. I know it's North Philly, but I can't remember the district. I think it might be 181. I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was another race where he was a shoe-in, um, Malcolm Kenyatta. He seemed like he had the, the right type of support. The machine was backing him. The other candidates really didn't have much presence and name recognition. So did that race surprise you at all, or did, was that uh, expected? No, I did. I wasn't surprised by the outcome there. Mm -mm. I thought mm -hmm. um, I thought um, once um, the courts found that uh, Kenneth Walker was no longer permitted to be on the ballot, I thought that opened the path to victory uh, for Malcolm up even wider. And who was Kenneth Walker? Uh, he was a guy who ran for state rep several times against Curtis Thomas, the incumbent, and was building some momentum and had some name ID. And the courts ended up saying that he wasn't permitted to be on the ballot. He had a resident issue. Okay. There were several races yesterday, Isaiah, where incumbents ran uncontested. Um, how do you feel when you walk into a poll and you see people that have no opposition? I think part of it is in the neighborhood recognize that folks are doing a good job. And then the other part of it is, you know, um, it's a stranglehold on politics, whereas though people aren't encouraged to get politically engaged and to challenge folks. Um, I'm having a little hard time hearing you, Isaiah. Say that again. Oh, I said I think that it's I think I think it I think it defers. You know, when you look at certain situations, you see elected officials who are doing a great job, and mm -hmm. people in the neighborhood they're satisfied. And then other situations, you see people who just aren't politically engaged and they aren't challenging the establishment, hurting their neighborhood, and so level is good it's like yeah man we, we we're together we're doing our thing we're we're supporting our neighborhood and then on another level it's not good it's like come on let's get politically engaged we don't have to settle for a lack of resources let's challenge the establishment do you think philadelphia so, is doing a good enough job at cultivating young new political talent in certain pockets of the city you see it happening but as a whole i would say no but i see improvement i see that conversation happening even more i see that since I've been involved in politics, I see that dialogue being forced. And mm. it wasn't being forced in the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who are some of the young political talent, of course, other than yourself, that you see up and coming? Uh, and I know a good, another honorable mention to Abu Edwards. He ran against, I believe, Jason Dawkins and another state representative uh, seat. Uh, Abu was um, unsuccessful in that race. But he was a, a first-time candidate, young guy. It takes a lot of courage. You know this. It takes a lot of courage and talent to get out there and, and, and make yourself vulnerable in front of people and ask them for support. I agree. It's one of the most difficult things to do, um, to ask people su for support, ask people to vote for you, ask people for money, ask people for to donate their time. It's difficult. It's, you know, asking people to vote for you, huh? It's tough, but not the toughest thing. Asking people to donate money, mm. it's a little tougher. Asking people mm -hmm. to donate their time, oh, man. You, you know, you might as well be asking them to give you a finger. And so, yeah, it's very difficult. And it's not something that everybody is capable of doing. As far as young talent in the city, Philadelphia has so much young talent, it's ridiculous. I wouldn't even begin to start naming names of people because we could spend just a whole podcast talking about the young political talent that Philadelphia has. I'll give you a good example. Who, what millennial raised the most money for any presidential candidate in 2016? Oh, well, I couldn't answer that. A Philadelphian. Mm. You know, a guy named Dan Kessler. He's not an elected official. Um, he's not somebody who has a seat. 
He's politically engaged. He cares about uh, the Democratic Party. And it's a goal that he set for himself. And he ended up raising um, um, Hillary Clinton at that time, a presidential candidate, north of $200,000 wow. during, um, during that presidential race. And that's a guy from Philadelphia. Mm. You know, and so we have so many gems um, in this city as far as within the political realm. You know, one of my right-hand guys is, is Chris Woods, one of the youngest uh, labor leaders in the city is a guy named uh, Brian Edison in the north in the northeast, and Dwayne Lilly in North Philly. It's so many political leaders. Uh, Chris Woods being youngest labor leader in the state. It's so many young political people who are like really doing their thing. And there, I, there I go naming names uh, again. I can name <laughs> more. I just you know again we could spend a whole show just talking about um, the political talent that Philadelphia has. Um, I even have a few of my mentees who I feel like are doing a great job, and I. You know, I can go on and name name them. And again, we can just have a show just dedicated to that. The talent is there. It's just a mm-hmm. matter of giving folks the opportunity to show what they can do. Mm. And, what did you learn as a candidate? What What are some of the lessons, life lessons you picked up as a, as a candidate? I'm, for office? I'm actually writing a book about that. Um, are you really? That much information. Yeah, I'm hoping it it's can be breaking done. news. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm hoping it could be done this year. Um, I've been mm. writing it for some time. And that's how much uh, information that I've learned about running for office, not even the legislative side, just the campaign side. Side, There's so much information that I've been able to write a book on it, and I'm hoping that book comes out this year. Who's the audience for that book? What would they learn once they read it? So I think the audience would be two groups of people. The first group of people would be anybody that's looking to run for office, people that care about Philadelphia politics, uh, similar to like a prayer, for the, uh, a prayer for the city type narrative. But uh, I will also say young people who want to get politically engaged. I try to use anecdotes within the narrative so I can capture the attention of teenagers and young adults who aspire to get involved in office, uh, to get involved mm. in politics and possibly run for office. What inspired you when you decided to run the first time? What, what, I mean, how'd you get over those nerves? How'd you make that decision? Like, all right, I'm gonna go do it. Uh, well, I actually worked for Tony Payton, who at the time was the youngest state representative and the legislator. Um, he was mm-hmm. in the 179th legislative district. And um, what I watched from Tony was, you know, a, a friend who was able to bring in, um, so much as far as resources and um, 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 institutional things that the district needed. And when I was able to see the change he was able to make as a state rep and for, and for him to kind of put the battery in my back and give me the idea to run for city council and really um, provide a lot of the funding for my first campaign, um, mm-hmm. that's really what got me engaged. And ever since I, I got involved, there's been something that I've been um, persistent as far as a, a goal I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your message to some of the candidates? I mean, one of the things that I talked about earlier today, um, uh, you know, is, you know, where, where do these candidates go next? I mean, um, you have to, it depends. Everybody's in a different situation and you have mm-hmm. to be strategic and tactful. You know, if you, if you're running and this is your first time losing a race, you know, the sky's the limit. It means nothing. You lost your first one. No one judges you off of losing your first race and you have to go from there. If it's not your first time, but the key is after you've lost your first race, whatever you decide to do next, if you decide to run, you got to get it right because then you're beginning to damage your political reputation. Mm. The um, people who ran more than once, you know, those people have to be very strategic and tactful on what they decide to do because it's difficult to raise money when you've lost multiple times. Mm-hmm. Are you running again? Especially when you, um, Especially when you're not running for the same thing. Because people see you as all over the place when you've lost multiple times, you're not running for the same thing. As far as me running again, um, that's the goal. If I'm able to have 
a good enough year and uh, constituents in the city of Philadelphia uh, put me in a position where I have the right momentum and the right resources. The goal is definitely to run again in 2019. For uh, city council at large or something different? Th- that, that's the goal. That would be the goal to run for council at large in 2019. That's the goal. Yeah. Um, I, you know, again, if the resources are there, I would love to do it. If the resources aren't there, you know, I'm not going to put myself in a position to not be successful. What's your vision, just to wrap up, what's your vision for the city of Philadelphia? Not as a candidate, but just as a, as a political junkie, as, a, as an active citizen, as somebody who cares about justice, as a black man. What's your vision? As a, I just want to be a city that works for the people and works for the people uh, equally across the board. And, mm-hmm. and that's just not the case right now. You know, and it, it can go from anything. We can talk about anything from um, the equality of schools, um, the criminal justice system. Um, the taxes, the laws, all the way down to, you know, the PPA and the parking authority and the potholes. And, you know, you just feel like you get beat up by the city every which way. And I think um, a lot of our lifelong constituents, not new residents, lifelong constituents are losing, they're losing hope in government. And they're starting to feel like the city is not for them. And Mm. that's a narrative that I want to begin to change. That's a perception that if elected, I would fight tooth and nail every day to essentially try my best to change. Yeah. And shout out to all the women who ran for house seats in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I just think uh, there was a record yeah. number of women who ran for house seats in Pennsylvania. Several of them, several of them have actually won the Democratic primary. Yes, yes, yes. Which is awesome. I so we're, we're, we're making some progress. Uh, I heard that the governor may actually it, it, it may not be that. Uh, in the bag for Governor Tom Wolf, that Scott Wagner may actually be able to pull off a win. He's the Republican candidate. Any any truth to that? You think? Well, if I was Governor Wolf and um, I was responsible for raising the amount of money needed to win that campaign, that's the narrative I would be pushing. But as a political junkie, he has no chance. Are you saying Scott Wagner has no chance? That would be my yes. Why? I don't see a path to victory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Tom Wolf, Wolf is Tom Wolf has just been. He doesn't have any major flaws to exploit. In, in terms of legislative accomplishments or lack thereof? And, and on top of it, you have a Trump presidency. You know, we had people coming to the polls yesterday telling us that they voting because they, you know, we got to do something about Trump. And we're like, whatever gets you here. It's the problem. <laughs> but if that's what gets you here, you know, we mm-hmm. you. And so, you know, just you still have that anti-Trump narrative. You might not have seen it produced as far as um, the amount of votes that were cast yesterday, but you still hear it in narrative and ideology. And so mm-hmm. I think that will help Wolf in the general. And I think as long as his campaign is able to communicate that Republican message across the state, I believe he'll be fine. Any insight into how Philadelphia did in terms of turnout yesterday? Um, I haven't looked at the numbers as far as uh, what turnout looked like, but I do know the numbers were down. It they was were, down. They were lower than projected. Yes. Mm, that's troubling. Yeah. Especially when you look at last year, the, um, the numbers being so much higher than projected. Yeah. Well, last year you had a Larry Krasner on the ticket. Well, you also had the anti-Trump wave as well. And you have to give that some credit. And you had um, a district attorney who was going to jail as well. And so Mm -hmm. with all that controversy, you had a lot of media and money being spent on informing people that there was an election. And people like drama, people like negativity. And it was a lot of it. You know, you had a turn. And that that helped drive people to the polls. And this year was, as far as campaign season, was a lot duller. Mm. Last thoughts on the uh, uh, yesterday's election results and, and the candidates. Any last words, last thoughts? Um, 
it was a lot of good wins yesterday. I congratulate all the folks who won. Some of the folks who didn't win, um, I can understand. I completely empathize and know what it feels like to have put you all into a race and not necessarily won. Um, but I'm hoping that as a municipality, we can all move forward to put ourselves in a position where, you know, we have that government that we desire that works for all the constituents. Because there's a lot of us who feel like we're being disenfranchised right now. And I know you understand where I'm coming from. And I bet most of our listening audience does as well. Absolutely. Isaiah Thomas, give your uh, information online and how people can reach you uh, for those who are listening and like what you're saying. Sure. My uh, Twitter name is Candidate Thomas. Um, My Instagram name is Isaiah, I-S-A-I-A-H, Isaiah Thomas, the number four, Philly. Um, On Facebook, it's Isaiah Thomas, I-S-A-I-A-H. Kind of difficult to find because it's a lot of Isaiah Thomases, but I do have uh, a Citizens for Isaiah Thomas page that people can follow on Facebook. And if you like the message you want that you hear thus far and you do believe that I can run for office, please feel free to donate to our campaign because we need the support. So thank you. Absolutely. Educator, mentor, leader, Isaiah Thomas. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Candidate Thomas. Uh, he is a former Philadelphia City Council candidate. Do you have another thought? Nah, man, that's it. I, I appreciate you having me. I love talking politics, love talking um, election day. I'm excited to see all the people running for office. I'm anxious to see the good work that the candidates who want are going to do, and I look forward. Absolutely. You, could, back. absolutely. you could follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Flood the Drummer. Subscribe to Drumming for Justice podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever else podcasts are available. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. We'll blow you a kiss back. Uh, until next time, for Isaiah Thomas, I'm Flood the Drummer, and I'm Drumming for Justice. Yeah.